Well, Newbreed, it is good to be back with you again. It's good to be in the book of Daniel, continuing our series through Daniel entitled Dominion, Faith, and Worship. And I want to say a very special thank you to Pastor John for encouraging us last week uh, on Father's Day to consider this idea of, of leaving a, a, a legacy. Uh, And so I know uh, that you were encouraged by that as I was encouraged by it. And I I am excited to jump back into this book. And I've tagged this sermon this morning, Don't Miss the Writing on the Wall. Don't Miss the Writing on the Wall. And we're not going to read the entire chapter of Daniel 5 up front because as we work through this, we'll we'll read uh, each of the verses that are in it. But don't miss the writing on the wall. You know, that phrase, the writing on the wall, it's an interesting phrase. We use it today to mean uh, usually that someone is aware that something is going to happen, and, and it's usually bad without it being directly said. For example, you, you might say no one told him that he was going to lose his job, but he could, he could read the writing on the wall. No one told her that her investment was going under, but, but she could read the writing on the wall. And that phrase, according to most, originates here in Daniel chapter 5 where the king of Babylon and all those present at a a great feast see this writing on the wall, which, which from the beginning, even though they couldn't understand it initially, they knew that it had to be something bad. You you get that indication uh, when you see in the text that the king literally soiled himself as he saw this writing on the wall. And before we, we jump into the text, what I want to communicate to us this morning is that there is still writing on the wall. And this writing declares to us that there is something devastating that is rightly due to every person who lives. But there is hope as long as we don't miss the writing on the wall. And as long as we heed the warning it gives. So what I want to focus on this morning is the fact that we, as Christians, we know what the writing on the wall says. We, as Christians, have seen the warning, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have heeded the warning, and we, as Christians, have a responsibility to declare to the world the writing on the wall. And I'm going to tell you here up front what this writing says. Paul summarizes the writing on the wall like this at the beginning of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That is God's declaration to us and ultimately that is God's declaration to King Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5 that the wages of sin is death death. It is the warning that God communicates to every human being who has ever lived that sin brings death. And though some may not have directly heard that truth spoken like that, the writing is on the wall because we see the devastation and the death that sin brings every day. We see the turmoil that sin has caused and we see evidence that this sin brings death. I know, it's a heavy opening. 
But the hope comes in what comes next in Romans 6, 23. That yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what I want to do this morning as we walk through this chapter of Daniel is I want to communicate three points to you that, 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 that we have to remember, we have to hold on to if we are going to be faithful to, to not only heed the writing on the wall ourselves, but also as Christians to call others to do the same. And so I want to jump right in this morning. Here's my first point. The first point that we see in Daniel chapter 5 is that mankind is prone to miss the writing on the wall. That mankind is prone to miss the writing on the wall. Look with me at verses 1 through 6 as this story begins. And it, sing, it says, King Belshazzar held a great feast. So, so King Belshazzar took, took the throne after Nebuchadnezzar. Up until this point in Daniel, we've really only talked about King Nebuchadnezzar. And here we're introduced to another king, to King Belshazzar. And this is the only chapter that he's mentioned in because we'll see at the end of the chapter he dies. Spoiler alert. But it says, King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. And it says, under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Do you remember that, chapter 1? And it says, so that the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels that they had taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And at that moment, at that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared. And began writing on the plaster of the king's palace next to the lampstand. And as the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. Now, we can't, we can't read those first six verses of chapter 5 without thinking about what took place with Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 1. Because if you remember, at the very beginning of the book, it, it, as it's stated in our text, even in chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar was the one who took the vessels from the temple. He took these items that were used in worship and reverence to God, to Yahweh, and, and we talked about how Nebuchadnezzar took them to the land of Shinar. And we spoke about the interesting correlation between the land of Shinar and the Tower of Babel because they were the same place. And we talked about how Nebuchadnezzar was arrogant and proud and cared about building his name and his kingdom above all else, just like what we saw take place at the Tower of Babel. Because the irony of putting the vessels in this very place was that generations before, people tried to make a name for themselves. It did not turn out well for them. And Nebuchadnezzar missed, he missed the writing on the wall. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was, <clears throat> he was defying the God of eternity and God would humble him. We read 
In Daniel 4.25, when, when Nebuchadnezzar is told what's going to happen to him, it says, you will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew from the sky for seven periods of time until, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. And this is exactly what happened. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And now here in Daniel chapter 5, you have his predecessor, King Belshazzar, who has paid no attention to the great king who came before him. He paid no attention to what God did to humble Nebuchadnezzar. And just like Nebuchadnezzar missed the writing on the wall, so too King Belshazzar has missed the writing on the wall. And this is made evident in the fact that he literally could not read the writing on the wall when the hand of God declares judgment. But now I want to pause for a minute because before we deem Belshazzar as an anomaly or a rarity, or before we look at him and say, how could you have been so stupid? Belshazzar is living out the, real, the reality of every human being who's born in sin. Because Romans 1 reminds us, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And listen to this. It says, since what can be known about God is evident among them. The writing is on the wall. It says, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless. And their senseless hearts were dark. And claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Church, mankind is prone to miss the writing on the wall. But I want to be cautious here. I want to be cautious not to let us as Christians off the hook so easily. Because I would argue that we as Christians are still prone to miss the writing on the wall. And, and, and not in terms of the message, but in terms of its effect. To phrase it another way, in terms you've heard me use multiple times before, we are often tempted to forget. We are often tempted to miss the writing on the wall and forget that we are not just saved from something, but we are saved for something. We are called to be obedient to God. And our chief call as Christians is found in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have said. Teaching them, making disciples. You see, we are to be a people about declaring the name of Jesus. And though we we may not miss the writing on the wall in terms of the message of the gospel. Often, we miss the writing on the wall in terms of its effect because we are called to be people who make much of Jesus in this 
world, declaring that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, declaring that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved, declaring the excellencies of the one who calls people out of darkness and into marvelous light, declaring as ambassadors of Christ, be reconciled to God. And church, that is why we are here. We are here because mankind is prone to miss the writing on the wall, and God, after he has saved us, has called us to be voices declaring, don't miss it. That is why we are here in church, and I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it coming from a place of love and longing, and if we are not about declaring the great name of Jesus, we have missed the mark. We can be faithful in everything else. And if we miss this, church, we have missed the primary reason that God has left us on this earth. We have to be a people who proclaim the gospel. It is not optional. It is not when you have time. It is not secondary. It does not depend on the season of life you are in. It doesn't depend on whether or not you are struggling or in the midst of hardship or in the midst of turmoil. In every season, with all that we are, with every breath that we take, We are to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are going to do this well, church, there are a few things we have to remember. And the next two points that I have will speak to this. So not only is is mankind prone to miss the writing on the wall, and we are called to declare the truth of the gospel and of God's judgment on sin and, and freedom that comes in Christ. But if we're going to do this well, we have to remember a couple things. And here's the second point that I have for you. A faithful life aids a faithful declaration. A faithful life aids a faithful declaration. Read with me in verse 7 through 17. So this is after King Belshazzar has seen the writing on the wall, after he is shaking in fear. And it says, the king shouted to bring in the mediums, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. He said to to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain around his neck and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription. Or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face turned pale and his nobles, his noble, nobles were bewildered. It says, because of the outcry of the kings and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. And most likely this wasn't his wife, the queen. This was his mother, the queen, because as already been mentioned, he had many wives who were already there drinking from the cups with him. But it says that the queen came to the banquet hall and said, May the king live forever. She said, Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In the days of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belteshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, 
Summon Daniel, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods in you, and that insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and mediums were brought before me to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not give its interpretation. However, I have heard about you, that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. And what we, what we see here in these verses with Daniel is an incredible picture of a faithful life that will lead to a faithful declaration, a faithful life that aids his faithful declaration. We see it in a couple of ways. First, notice how Daniel was not in the service of King Belshazzar, right? Daniel was not in the place of prominence that he was when Nebuchadnezzar was king. Nevertheless, Daniel's faithfulness, and make no mistake about it, it wasn't Daniel's work. It was God's work through him were known. So much so that the queen, the queen could tell King Belshazzar of the testimony of how God had worked through Daniel. She knew, even though not fully understanding, that something had happened with Daniel and, and that, that God had done something through him. And so in essence, she knew of Daniel's faithfulness. Daniel's faithfulness left an impression. In some sense, he models the truth that Paul calls pastors to in 1 Timothy 3 when, when Paul says to be well thought of by outsiders. Even though Daniel wasn't in the place of prominence, even though he wasn't serving King Belshazzar like he, was, like he had served King Nebuchadnezzar, he was still well thought of by outsiders. He had a reputation of, of God doing something through him. Ultimately, he had a reputation of faithfulness. But second, we also see Daniel's faithful life in his response in verse 17. Because after the king says that, that he, that Daniel, will have this reward, right? Daniel says, you may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. Now, here's why that's so significant. Because in just a few verses, while recounting the story of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel is going to say this in verse 20 of Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. And so, so check this out. Daniel is painting a picture for King Belshazzar of the danger in boasting in the things of the world, of the danger of trying to build your own kingdom, in the danger of worshiping the things of this world. And he is going to use Nebuchadnezzar as the example. 
And what is amazing is that Daniel's actions in verse 17 reflect his belief of what he is going to say in verse 20. It reflects his belief that God alone is worthy. And Daniel does not place stock in the vain things of this world. And so hear me, in essence, his life matches his declaration. And his faithful life aids in a faithful proclamation. Let me put it another way. In other words, Daniel is not a hypocrite. Right? Da- Daniel does not, wa- not, does not say one thing is true and then live like something else is true. And so Daniel's life aids his proclamation. And here's what I want you to see. If we are going to be faithful to the task that God has called us to, if we are going to be faithful to see and declare the writing on the wall to a world that is so prone to forget, we have to understand that God demands our life and not just our words. God demands all, not just a moment. And if we are going to have any credibility with the message we proclaim, we have to live as if we actually believe it's true. In a quote that I share so frequently because I think it's so helpful when addressing this idea, Richard Baxter reminds us of this. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues, And listen to this, and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors. And basically what he's saying is, listen, make sure that when you proclaim truth, your life backs it up. If not, the hypocrisy will be made known. People will see it, and your very life will be the greatest hindrance to your proclamation of the gospel. I understand that there are hindrances to proclaiming the gospel. I understand that we have an enemy that wages war on us and wants to see us fail and stumble, but I don't ever want it to be said of me that my life was the hindrance to the gospel. Church, hear me, we cannot say that God is enough and think people will listen when we live as if he is not. We cannot say that God provides and think people will listen when we live as if all the provision depends on us. We cannot say that God's grace saves the least of these and think people will listen when we refuse to tell the least of these about God's grace. We cannot say that glory awaits and think people will listen when we live as if this world is all that there is. But when we say God is enough and show that with our lives, and when we say God provides and rest in his provision, and when we say God's grace saves and declare that without shame, and when we say glory awaits and we fix our eyes daily on home, our faithful lives will aid our faithful declaration. The church, make no mistake about it, that an unfaithful life will hinder a faithful declaration. We want to live as if what we say is actually true. But we also want to make sure that we're declaring the truth. And this leads to the third and final point that I have for you this morning. Be bold in declaring truth. Be bold in declaring truth. Look with me at verses 18 through the end of the chapter. 
It says, Your Majesty, the Most High God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to, the prede- to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. So this is, this is Daniel interpreting the writing on the wall. He says, Your Majesty, the Most High God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted and kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the most high God is ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles, wives and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand. And who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore he sent the hand. And this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, tikal, and parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mine means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikal means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. And Perez, which is the singular form of parson, means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It says, then Belshazzar gave an order, and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And notice how the chapter ends, that very night. Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. And there's so much to unpack there. And so much to unpack there. And we're not going to fully scratch the surface. But, but there are a few things that I want you to note. And one of them is this, that in this proclamation from Daniel, we see a boldness to declare the truth of God. We see a boldness to interpret the writing on the wall and boldness to stand in the presence of a king and tell, them that, and tell him that his kingdom was coming to an end. And I want, I want you to understand how bold this was because Daniel didn't have the favor of Belshazzar like he did Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel in this moment could have been accused of treason. He could have been seen as being defiant to the king. The king did not know him like Nebuchadnezzar. And it appears as if this is the first time they've even met. 
And yet Daniel was willing to be considered defiant in the eyes of earthly kings rather than actually be defiant to the king of kings. And so Daniel was bold. But Daniel also knew that there were only two options. One of the things that's so interesting, this is a side note, and I found it fascinating. I want to share with you when the beginning of the chapter, when it was listing the things that were taken from the temple, it mentions the gold and the vessels. But, but Daniel is also intentional to mention a lampstand and to say that the writing on the wall appeared across from the lampstand. And that's a very interesting statement because in the temple there was a lampstand as well. And across from the temp or across from the lampstand would have been the the bread of the bread of presence which signified to the people the provision of God, the sustenance of God that God was with them. And yet here in Babylon in the same place was the judgment of God. And you see what Daniel understands, part of the reason that he is so bold is because he knows that there are only two options. We will either see God as God and see him as the God who provides and who is near and who comforts, or we will experience the wrath of God. There are only two options. And so Daniel didn't have any choice and he was bold to declare the judgment of God that was coming on him. And church, if we are going to be faithful to proclaim the truth of God's word, it will require spirit empowerment boldness. And church, we will have to seek God's face for his boldness. This is the very thing we see with Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. I mean, I love that story because they're arrested and they're taken before the Jewish leadership. And it says that Peter was filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 4. And he proclaimed your word with all boldness. Well, why in the world would they plead for boldness when they've just showed that they could be bold because for the disciples, this pleading for boldness was an ongoing prayer. It was an ever-present dependent on the Spirit of God, dependence on the Spirit of God to provide this supernatural boldness. And what they are doing is so significant because they are showing and teaching us that relying on the power of God is necessary to facilitate and embolden faithful gospel proclamation. And church, we need to do this. We need to be daily praying that God would give us boldness to proclaim the truth of his word to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. I I believe that so often our evangelism is stale because we are trying to, one, muster up the opportunities on our own, and we're trying to proclaim out of our own strength. But what Daniel shows to us, what the apostle models model for us, is a boldness that comes through the spirit that indwells us. And we must be daily pleading for God to give us this spirit of boldness, for God to open doors and opportunities for us to proclaim the excellencies of his love for his creation, but that we would not shy away from the truth. But I want you to notice that not only was Daniel bold, but he was faithful to proclaim the truth. He did not soften a hard message. I mean, look again at what was written on the wall in verse 25. I mean, take this in. This is what God said to this king. It says, this is the writing that was inscribed, mine, mine, tekal, and parson. And this is the interpretation of the message. Mine means that 
God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikal means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. This is Daniel speaking this to a king. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And what Daniel does, he declares hard truth because he basically looks at this king and says that the sovereign God of creation has weighed and measured your life and you have been found wanting. And as a result, your rule and your life are over. Daniel proclaimed truth even when it was hard. Daniel proclaimed truth when it was not the popular opinion. Daniel was bold to proclaim the word of God even when it put him at risk. And church, let me tell you something. The gospel message that we proclaim is not an easy message. See, it has become easy for us as believers to hear it because for us it is life. But when you think about the message that you are communicating to a lost and dying world, it is a hard message because we begin by telling the world that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is made is His and all honor and all worship and all glory is due Him. But the problem is that every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has fallen short of His glory. Every one of us has robbed God of the worship that is rightly due His name. And as we read at the beginning, Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. The gospel message that we proclaim demands that we tell people that their sin is leading them straight to hell. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but that's not a popular message in our day and age. But it is truth. It is the writing on the wall. And so we call sin, sin. And I understand that there are some sins given the time and the place where it is easier to call them sin. There are other sins where, depending on the culture, that are not so easy to call sin. Well, I'd say not so easy for people to hear, but our call is to declare the truth of the gospel, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death. And then we proclaim, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, and that is the good news. That is the hope. But church, that is also a difficult message for many people to hear. Because what you are telling them is that there is nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God. That ultimately you you are fundamentally flawed to the core of your being. And there is nothing you can do to remedy that. And so you need someone else to step into your place. And believe it or not, that's a hard message for people to hear, especially Americans, because we love this idea of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We, we love this idea of muscling through and overcoming. But what the gospel tells us is that you cannot overcome your sin, that left to your own devices, you are destined to die and go to hell. And that is every one of us. And we need a Savior, and and we don't like needing things, and we don't like needing a Savior. We want to be able to do it on our own, but we declare that there is a God who has loved His creation so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life that we should have lived, but we cannot live. And He died the death that we deserve to die. In our place condemned, He stood. And God pulled out the full measure of His wrath and His hatred and His anger for sin on His Son, and Jesus was was crucified and he died. He was raised from the dead, securing salvation 
For those who would come in faith and repentance, meaning for those who would, who would throw the full weight of who they are on Christ and say that if it's not Jesus, it's nothing else by banking all that we have on him. And that's faith. And then repentance is changing our mind and agreeing with God that what he has is right and what we have done is wrong and that his way is better than ours. And we run after him and we pursue him with all that we have in church the message of the gospel, the message that we believe, that we hold so near and dear to us, it is not an easy message to proclaim because it's not an easy message for a lot of people to hear, but we proclaim it. It is the reason that God has left us here, to proclaim the truth of the gospel to those who are lost and who are perishing. But one of the things that we see that I want to point out is that part of the reason that Daniel was able to do this with such boldness was because Daniel did not have to speculate whether or not God's word was true. He had seen it play out already in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. That when God speaks, he brings it to fruition. And God would again quickly faithfully reveal to Daniel that his words are never in vain. Because notice what it says at the very end. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. It's one of the only times in the book of Daniel that an age is mentioned. So when we see that, we we might want to think that there's something significant about that number, 62. Part of the reason that Daniel puts that in there, that God communicated it to Daniel and it's significant for us, is because in Daniel chapter 1, when God told Nebuchadnezzar that the Babylon Empire would come to an end, and just so you know, Darius the Mede, he's... The Mede, he's not Babylonian. This is the end of the Babylonian Empire as it relates to the people of God. When Daniel interacted with Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 1, it was 62 years before this. And what some commentators have speculated and what I would believe to be true is that in the moment that God told Daniel that he was bringing this empire to an end, a child was born named Darius the Mede, and God was already orchestrating what would take place at this very moment. God was showing Daniel that he is faithful to keep his word. In church, we declare the truth of the gospel. We call people to heed the writing on the wall, believing that everything God says is true and every hardship we endure is worth it because God has proven himself faithful time and time again and we see it nowhere clearer than in the very message that we proclaim that our God comes through our God delivers from sin and death our God saves and therefore we have hope and we believe that God's words are not empty. Let's go before him. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we, your people, would be faithful 
to fulfill the calling that you have placed on our life, that we, your people, that we would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, that we would see him as worthy and as valuable, that we would, we would understand the reason that you have left us here, that when we were saved, we didn't just go to heaven to be with you as amazing as that would have been because you are still saving and you are still drawing people to yourself and you have tasked us with the incredible privilege of proclaiming this message that has brought about our salvation. And God, far be it from us to ever hoard this treasure that you meant to be a free gift. God, I pray that New Breed Church, that if, that if we are known for anything, God, that we would be known as a people who will not stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing that it is good news, believing that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved, and believing that you are still drawing people to yourself. And oh, church, how this world needs God. God, I pray that we would. We would be faithful to proclaim, believing that you are still strong to save. We give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.